In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Andrew Gold, a fallen BBC journalist interviewing the heretics and rebels brave enough to speak out against mainstream narratives. Here's Coleman Hughes, John Ronson, and the Trigonometry podcast guys bringing controversy to the fore. How'd you feel if a person of a different race moved in next door? I spent a while with a politically correct faction of the Ku Klux Klan. The system punishes people for wrong think. It's heartbreaking. Here's My Unorthodox Life Netflix star Julia Hart on getting out of a Hasidic Jewish cult. Why can't I be okay with being silent and subservient? Everyone else is. And biologist Richard Dawkins on trans activism. It's perfectly legitimate to say, I am a man, but I feel feminine. But to then say, therefore I am a woman, is just a betrayal of language. Now it's your turn. Rebel against the mainstream and find a home in this sensible alternative space by subscribing to Heretics Podcast. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the mysterious death of Phil Schneider and his claims regarding secret military underground bases. I believe he could have worked on an underground base, but the cherry on top of that story to make it more interesting and to draw attention to him more was this alien battle. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again. 
go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Documentary filmmaker Darcy Weir returns to discuss the re-release of one of his earlier films, Underground, in which he investigates the possible murder of Phil Schneider, a well-known name in the UFO ET arena. Before his death, Schneider was doing the speaking circuit, UFO conferences and so forth, and making some astonishing claims about his involvement in the construction of secret underground bases like the one rumored to exist in Dulce, New Mexico. Schneider also gained wide notoriety for his claims that he and the U.S. military were involved in a battle with gray aliens in one of these bases. Darcy is here to separate fact from fiction, or at least discuss what he believes to be the truth with regards to Schneider, UFO ET secrecy, and the existence of such bases. Darcy is an independent documentary filmmaker from Canada. He trained as a video editor, writer, director, and producer in university and technical college. He's chosen to work on some of the more fascinating subjects that are discussed today. Recently, Darcy completed a new documentary based on the theory that relic hominids like Sasquatch live in deep wilderness all around the world. He's currently working on a documentary about UFO volcano mysteries and crop circles, which will be released in March. Hey, Darcy, how are you? Good, Richard. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. You're a busy man. You've got no fewer than three new films. You've got uh, Crop Circle Realities coming out in March. You've got Volcanic UFO Mysteries that was released just earlier this month in January. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about the director's cut of Underground. When did that come out and what can people expect to see in that film? Sure. So that came out uh, actually in November, the end of November of 2020. Uh, The film was actually the very first documentary that I ever produced in my my short filmmaking career so far. Um, I started working on that in 2010, uh, over a decade ago, and... um, I was interviewing Cynthia Dreher, who's uh, Richard, sorry, uh, Phil Schneider's ex-wife, his, his late wife. They got divorced, but they were still friends. They had a uh, they had a child together, Marie, and um, they were, you know, raising her, uh, but apart. And um, I was very fascinated by his story. I'm sure many people are fascinated by his story. Right. We should talk a little bit, give people uh, some background. This was, I guess, one of three people who supposedly survived this alleged battle between Greys and U.S. military at the underground Dulce base back in, what, late 1970s, early 80s? 
Uh, yeah, he said he stated it was during the late 1970s, and um, you know the the story is incredible. It's um, what really drew me in the first time. I actually was told by a friend back in uh, I think 2009, 2008. Hey, have you heard about this guy Phil Schneider? He's you know pretty popular online right now because people have been saying that he states he survived this this battle between uh, aliens living in a base underground under the earth um, in the Dulce, New Mexico area. And I said, no, I've never heard of him. Please send me like whatever you know about him and, and I'll start researching. Um, you know, I was, I was a film student at that time in university and I just found it such a interesting story. So I started to follow it. I reached out to everybody that was Phil's friend at the time. Um, there was like a a website that was run by this name, uh, this gentleman named Ron, uh, Ayers. I think it was, um, it's, it's no longer existent exists, but it was, uh, like, NWO fighters or something like that, New World Order. And uh, I found that to be one of the most interesting things about Phil Schneider is that he really pushed this warning of a New World Order that was coming, you know, that was possibly going to be um, the new system the, the way that the world was being run, no matter what economy or country you participated in. And um, that was kind of his undertone. Then you had the alien battle. Then you had a lot of information about underground bases. There was also a connection to the Philadelphia experiment. I first became aware of Schneider I guess in the early 2000s, I was doing a radio show at another radio station, and uh, there was a book by Alexandra Bruce called Philadelphia Experiment Murder, uh, which talked about Schneider's mysterious death in 96. Um, it was found in an, was it a piano wire around his neck in his apartment, and some of his research papers or uh, his um, his presentation papers because he was touring the, the country talking about this that that went missing. Uh, yeah, so it was actually the early '90s when he passed. Um, he was still doing uh, lectures in in the early '90s, and right around I think it was 1994, he was found dead in his apartment. Um, he was staying at a low-income apartment, sort of a motel-style place, and they found – the coroner is actually who found evidence that there would be foul play surrounding his death. Um, because, you know, if you, if you watch the film, uh, we show the coroner's report, we show the uh, po- initial police report, and then the, the following police reports – and it was really Cynthia Dreyer, his late wife, that pushed to find out what was really going on. Because when he died, she she said 
she knew he had no interest in dying. He wanted to live a long life. He wanted to be there for his daughter. He was excited about lecturing and discussing all the things that were going on uh, that he knew about. And, um, you know, all of a sudden he was missing for a week and the landlord of the, um, the building he was living in noticed he hadn't left his room for over four days. So they went by, they smelled, you know, something inside the apartment. And when they cracked it open with the police, uh, the police deemed it a suicide. Now, the way that they found his body was uh, very highly suspect. You know, it, it how the police ruled that suicide, it, it seemed more negligent than anything else. Um, like they just didn't care or take the time because it was a low income apartment. You know, they probably have seen this type of thing before. Uh, and since there really wasn't many people that were fighting except for his late wife for an investigation, they weren't really going to push. So when his body was at the funeral home, the uh, director of the funeral home called Cynthia and said, look, something's not right here. I found his catheter cord wrapped around his neck. Uh, you know, and this seems to be how he died. He died through asphyxiation. Um, and they, you can't kill yourself with your own catheter cord without, you know, some kind of hanging or something like that. But it it looked like he was just strangled to death. So that's where, um, the funeral director and Cynthia gave you know, notice to a detective in the uh, Clackamas County where they found uh, his body. And um, the detective also suspected there was foul play at hand. Um, They took blood samples, urine samples, and, uh, you know, sent all the information off uh, when a coroner actually took over responsibilities, started checking things out with his body. And, uh, they ruled, um, death by natural causes, which is very strange when it, when it was published in the newspaper, uh, in the mortuary, uh, section that seemed to be highly, uh, suspect, you know, why? And then, they never got the urine or blood samples back. They were told to Cynthia. Uh, Cynthia was told that they were lost. Um, now, I want to clear up one thing about Phil Schneider. I do not believe, in my opinion, that he had a battle with aliens. Um, that part of his story is too outlandish for me. What I do believe is that he had a growing movement of people that were listening to him and he was given some documents and he also inherited documents from his father. Now his father, Oscar Otto Schneider, um, he was working in his earlier years under Project Paperclip for the U.S. Navy 
he worked for NATO uh, and, you know, was a SS soldier working on U-boats during World War II. So he was brought over to the United States. Um, and when he passed away, Phil went into his father's office, found all kinds of interesting memos and letters and um, had documents and pictures and stuff showing his father working on the USS Nautilus, which was a classified nuclear submarine that um, his father was you know, responsible for working on. I think that stuff was the most credible. And there was UFO photos from the bombing of Bikini Atoll and all kinds of stuff. Apparently, a picture of Val Valiant Thor, who was a um, human-looking extraterrestrial that had worked with the Pentagon at one point, And they had done some sort of briefings together. Right. During the Eisenhower administration, I, I guess, supposedly took up residence at either the Pentagon or the White House. Yeah, I think that was the more credible. The stuff that came from his father's past was very credible. And Phil was so, um, he was so driven and so pushed to do that because Ron Rummel was killed. Ron Rummel was his best friend. Um, and he was found dead in a park in Portland, Oregon, probably a few months before Phil really picked up the, the mantle and started doing these lectures. And, uh, they had started publishing a newspaper called the, the alien digest, which was picking up some steam. People were interested in it. It, you know, covered things about Area 51, S4, Groom Lake, all that stuff. And I think Phil had a lot of evidence from his father's documentation. Uh, Anthony Sanchez, a writer who wrote a book called The Lost, The UFO Highway, sorry, The UFO Highway. Um, Anthony interviewed a uh, supposed retired colonel who worked at the Dulce, New Mexico underground base and um, had all kinds of information about what was really going on in this truth embargo between um, aliens cooperating with the U.S. government and possibly working in some of these underground facilities uh, is what is alleged. And this colonel stated that he met with Phil Schneider in his last few months alive and handed a very large envelope full of documentation further further fodder you know for the the cannon fodder for his uh, quest to disclose information to the public so what was just so I'm understanding here it sounds like Schneider was what a little bit of a charlatan in that, uh, first of all, you, you, you have come to conclude that his story about the battle underground uh, in Dulce between Greys and the U.S. military, that he had no part of that, that he perhaps uh, fabricated it, fabricated it, borrowed on his father's legacy, yep. uh, and also 
um, these documents that he took from this other military official and tried to m- sort of conflate all of these stories and make them his own to do for what purpose? I think um, obviously for a bit of fame, a bit of glory, uh, but I think why not? Most people want to – there's so many people in this field of researching the UFO phenomenon and the possible extraterrestrial visitation question. There's so many people out there that are charlatans. They, they are people just looking for attention. And um, this was early days. You know, this was not where we are now, where there's a million and one people that have something incredible and, uh, you know, outlandish to say about these subjects. This is just the beginning, really. Uh, he started speaking actually at a Bigfoot conference. That was the very first very famous lecture where you see him hold his hand up and you see he's missing uh, three fingers and he's just got his thumb and his um, his index finger. Yeah, so... Um, you know, I learned a lot when I was making that documentary about him and I believed at the time very, very strongly that his story was true and that he was telling the truth. But over time, I learned more and more that it's possible that he had created this grandiose story to make it more exciting and, uh, it's exciting enough if you can prove things like Majestic 12 existed and have been around since, you know, the 1950s and 40, late 40s to cover up um, extraterrestrial presence. It's exciting enough to talk about crashed craft retrievals and possibly alien bodies to do with that. Uh, which I definitely believe in. Um, it's, it's, then, incre- it's, a, it's incredible enough for me putting all of the alien UFO uh, phenomena to one side just to talk about or to think about the possibility of these huge underground bases. Yes, exactly. And then that's the, the other thing that, you know, in this documentary we have Richard Souter, who's written four books on underground bases, you know, one of them's called Hidden in Plain Sight. And, you know, this goes over underground base facilities that are part of the uh, American sort of record, so to speak. You've got, uh, he went through government report repositories, just poured through uh, all these repositories in Washington, D.C. and so on to find uh, documentation proving that there was plans to make these bases throughout history. And, uh, you know, there's even plans to make bases under the ocean. And they have diagrams and all kinds of technology that is being discussed that the military or their um, – or their – contracted agencies could employ to make these bases. And and these are 
very well-known engineering firms like Bechtel, um, you know, uh, that has an international reach that can move money, equipment, and personnel at a moment's whim. Right. Just, right. just get get a project started up, and a lot of these contractors will go in, start working on a base, and they won't even really know what the end product is because it's it's a compartmentalized job, just like the military compartmentalizes all their research sure. and uh, and work. How is Richard Sauter? I every time I try to connect with him, and I, I, we've had discussions on the air, but we always get—I think he's down in Ecuador. We always get interrupted. There's uh, 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 always a problem with the connection. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He seems to think that uh, he's being uh, listened in on, or uh, that there's some skullduggery on the part of the NSA. Were you able? Uh, I know that you spend some of your time down in Mexico. Were you able to to connect with him in person, or? Uh, he's extremely hard to connect with. That's true. Skype is pretty much the only way. Uh, and he goes into a cafe, uh, where he's living in Ecuador to, to connect, you know, uh, the problem that really came about in the past, um, I think about five years, he was hustled by a, uh, ayahuasca, chieftain or something like that. He was having these experiences, you know, uh, with ayahuasca and, um, eventually he was defrauded. Well, I think while he was in that experience, he was, uh, vulnerable and money was stolen from him and he was beaten actually. And he ended up in, in a hospital down there and was pretty hurt. So that was the last time I talked to him. Um, I really hope he's doing a lot better. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, uh, folks like him are few and far between They're you know, today's day and age does not care about actually finding the facts about these deep underground military bases that are very well, could very well be across the United States, Canada, parts of, you know, Europe and, the Middle East, for sure. So, getting back to Schneider for a moment, um, his presentation papers supposedly vanished after his mysterious death. What do you have? Any, I mean, did you did you look at his death as kind of a cold case file? Is that how you, in part, approached the film? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much the 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 most believable thing about him is the way that he was suicided, you know, he was killed and people still today, you know, argue about it left and right. If you read some of the comments that are on the Amazon prime video page, uh, you know, there's, there's some great arguments for and great arguments against, but I, I think some people don't realize that the documentary is shining light on him uh, some incredible things that he talked about, but then also uh, his life. And um, then, of course, most importantly, underground bases and government secrecy surrounding this ET issue. Did he have any, um, did he have any involvement in, in the construction of these bases or Dulce in particular, do you think? Um, he definitely was a, 
um, he was part of like a mineral society and I do believe he had some geologist background. Um, I know that he was in the Vietnam, he was, you know, abroad, he was in, uh, Egypt at one point, he was in, um, Vietnam at one point. Um, and he apparently worked on a nuclear, energy facility and he got exposed there and got pretty sick. Cynthia had told me at one point. Um, so I, I think he did do a lot of work to do with building, uh, out things. It's possible that he did work on a base out in Dulles, New Mexico it's very possible, especially given how, you know, secretive and clandestine these sort of military building projects can be. Um, he had all the right information, you know. He knew how they could build these bases by tunneling out with these boring machines and uh, deflagrate, meaning explode, uh, rock and mineral in a certain way to melt out, uh, certain cave structures. But, um, you know, the, the other serious problem was that he had two social, uh, social insurance identities, right? So he had a, he had one that showed his history working for a company called Morrison Knudsen. And Morrison Knudsen is uh, just like Bechtel. They're one of these military contractor companies, right? And that is the company he stated in the late 70s that he worked for, which would have um, been contracted to build bases, you know? And... Um, when Cynthia was helping him with his, his sick leave benefits, you know, his, um, out of work benefits, she was using the Morrison Knudsen, um, social insurance number, and she was getting benefits paid underneath that. But then he had a new one. He had a different social insurance number, social security number, sorry, uh, I'm from originally Canada, so I say we say social social insurance, and you guys say social security. So under his new social security number, he only had work that he had done after he left building projects and stuff like working at a, a shoe um, sales company and and that type of thing. So I mean. I believe he could have worked on an underground base, but the cherry on top of that story to make it more interesting and to draw attention to him more was this alien battle. More of my conversation with Darcy Weir when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place. 
Overwhelmed by investing? If you're anything like us, the hardest part is getting started. That's why we created the Investing for Beginners podcast. Our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you. We invite guests to demystify investing. At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k. I'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion about investing. And We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet, and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet. Our Q&A episodes feature questions from listeners just like you. So what do you think about the situation with ETBI, which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather. And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast. On the Investing for Beginners podcast. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s. Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the host of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field, and we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists. So go check out the Everytown podcast because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. I can't stop talking about the pomegranate super tea from my friends at Get the Tea. They actually changed the name. It used to be known as Formula 13 pomegranate cleansing tea, but this gentle cleansing tea now contains a new stronger formula. All I know is it still tastes great, it's still refreshing, and it still provides me with energy and a sense of well-being. This new blend of tea contains some of the same ingredients as those that are in the Life Change teas, but with added natural pomegranate flavor and stevia to give it a natural, slightly sweetened taste. One pouch of tea contains eight tea bags, enough to last for one month. I brew two gallons at a time and then it steeps in cold water. Into the fridge it goes and that's enough to last for the week. I start my day every day with a 16 ounce cool refreshing glass of this amazing herbal, non-GMO, caffeine-free tea. It provides a daily gentle cleanse that rids my body of any intruders. A healthy gut is the key to a healthy body. So, come on board and find out for yourself. The Super Tea also comes in peppermint. These teas are not available in any store. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. 
Get Your Tea from GetTheTea.com. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Independent filmmaker Darcy Weir is here, and we're discussing the lifetimes and mysterious death of Phil Schneider. Schneider claimed he was involved in the construction of secret U.S. military installations deep, deep under the ground. Among his most astonishing claims was that he was involved in a battle with gray aliens. There's a lot of parallels between Schneider and Bob Lazar in that Lazar, of course, made these claims about working at S4 at uh, um, Area 51. And um, his, his, when people looked into it, people like George Knapp, my colleague at Coast to Coast and, and others, his, his past uh, places where he claimed to have worked, it seems to to have vanished. Um, yeah, it, and, and it, that that seems to be what happened to Phil Schneider. But it's so also I, as if 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 in fact you know um, he he wasn't who he claimed to be, and there seems to be some. You seem to indicate that that may be the case. It's almost like if you want to discredit something, you you pick someone like a Phil Schneider or. A Bob Lazar, as if maybe someone leaked just enough information to this person, knowing that they would they would seek attention, uh, but then they would be easily discreditable. Yeah, yeah, um, and you know it, it it seems sometimes with this uh, field of research, it's it's mostly independent researchers like yourself or me that are following these breadcrumbs and trying to piece together some truth that's going on with this, this, these questions. Right. Um, and look at Richard Doty, look what he did to Paul Benowitz, who also, you know, had an experience, but as soon as he started, uh, really speaking about it and getting embroiled in all of it, his personal business fell apart. His family left him, and the poor guy ended up committing suicide. Right, Benowitz's um, people uh, should know that he was sort of the first guy that that came forward and and claimed. I guess he he thought he was intercepting some sort of electronic communications from alien spacecraft. Uh, and installations outside of Albuquerque. So this is when people started to first hear about a possible alien involvement at Dulce, New Mexico, with, was with this, was with uh, Benowitz. That's right. And um, if you look at what happened to him, that's a, a very perfect example of what happened to Bob Lazar and what may have happened to Phil Schneider. Phil Schneider was an easier case for them to get away with, um, in my opinion, just because he had some health issues. He was telling, you know, if he was given some information by somebody like Richard Doty, he was blowing up that information even more. Do you know what I mean? And uh, by creating this noise and disinformation in these UFO circles, it hides the truth. And if there really is something at Dulce, New Mexico, which I'm sure there is under that Mesa Ridge there, 
the, the the native indigenous people have been talking about it for years uh, and about beings that are not human, like ant-like people, spirit beings, whatever, that come and visit them at, sometimes at night. There's UFOs that are seen flying over that uh, mesa all the time uh, throughout history. So I, I don't doubt there's something there. Um, and with Paul Benowitz, you know, he was discredited and passed uh, and, you know, even further to that, if you look at what Richard Doty uh, quite famously did, well, it's alleged he did, he gave uh, the whole Project Serpo story to Bill Ryan, who run, used to run Project Camelot before Carrie Cassidy took over. And Bill Ryan ran with that story. He did lectures on Project Serpo. And we find out through watching a film called Mirage Men, which is a great documentary, uh, Richard Doty was hired by the American military. And in my opinion, there's no reason why he still doesn't work for the military industrial complex because he does lectures now himself at UFO conferences when they still existed. Uh, and became so powerful that he's controlling the narrative somewhat. Um, before, he was somebody who disseminated information to people that would speak at these conferences. Um, and Bill Ryan went, told everybody, hey, Project Serpo is real. Uh, we he, had a- uh, Sorry, a sorry to interrupt, Darcy. And again, for listeners not familiar, Project Serpo was this sort of a, a human alien exchange program. Yeah. Um, interestingly, it parallels the sort of underlying story that is introduced at the end of the film uh, by Steven Spielberg, Close Encounters of a Third Kind. At the end of the film, we see these craft finally land at the top of uh, Devil's Peak or whatever that land formation is. Um, and when the craft opens up, we see pilots from the 1950s uh, and, you know, all kinds of people come off the craft and it looks like they haven't aged a day and aliens come off the craft and new folks get on the craft. And, and it's like an exchange. It's like, here's your old, your people we took before. Here's some new folks. Okay. See you later. Peace be with you type thing. Right. And, um, I think Richard Doty created that story. Uh, there's evidence that those emails that were sent to uh, uh, Bill Ryan, they, they came from the same IP address that was the computer that Richard Doty used at the time. So it must have been him that created those stories uh, going under a different alias on a, a chat forum and Bill Ryan took it up. So that's the scary thing. I mean, there's some kind of truth out there to everything that's going on. We're starting to get um, a, a very simple disclosure happening right now from the Pentagon and uh, the Department of Defense seems interested in, in letting the public know about some of the stuff that they've done and researched in the past regarding off-world craft, apparently. But um, I'm just skeptical about 
the narrative that is going to come to the media because um, if if it's information they want us to know, why now and how are they going to control that narrative? We looked at the things they've done in the past to cover it up, and we've looked at the cases where they've infiltrated the civilian researcher circles out there that are covering this subject uh, to a large degree with Richard Doty and possibly other informers that we don't even know about uh, and spread lies and, and weird stories. So, so that's, in other words, are you concerned that, for example, Luis Elizondo, who supposedly ran the ATIP program at the Pentagon, might be another Richard Doty? I, I don't know enough about Luis Elizondo to make that claim. Um, I, I just fear, I fear the fear motive itself um, that, you know, um, if it's coming from the military industrial complex, their invested interests are in protecting, you know, national security and, and the economy the American economy. Um, and a lot of the American economy still is highly dependent on fossil fuels and a whole industry that is like choking the planet right now. I'm just worried that disclosure would not be in favor of going into the stars and uh, and, and, and using cleaner technologies. Um, I, cause I think that that is the next step for us to evolve as a species. We have to have disclosure that is peaceful and doesn't have this sort of fear mongering, um, story underneath it. Um, because, you know, so far the only bit of disclosure is here's some craft from some videos that we've taken on our, military aircraft they're not ours or from a known arsenal that we control we don't know whose they are they're most likely off-worlder or something right that's all we know so far um as long as the story doesn't get flipped into they're a threat to us that's where um i would be worried so just uh getting back to dulcie for a minute what do you what conclusions uh, can you draw or have you drawn based on your research about the likelihood that there is a large underground military installation there? I think it's highly likely that there is something there. Um, there's been uh, many researchers that have gone out there. Um, you know, you've got I think it's the Japanese journalist George Hayakawa who went out there. Uh, there was cattle mutilations around here and a long history of UFO reports um, and just all kinds of anomalous stuff. The Paul Benowitz story, you know, apparently he, like you said before, may have intercepted communications between an underground base there uh, with his – Air Force uh, radio technology he had set up there, his airport, sorry, his airport radio technology, because he was a independent airport uh, owner at that time in the area. Um, 
you know, and then we have Richard Souders testimony. We have, uh, many, many, many other people that have witnessed things in the Dulles, New Mexico area that seem to be eerie and, uh, mysterious and the native indigenous people state themselves that, uh, you know, they've seen entrance ways to tunnel systems that go into this underground base under, uh, Dulles, New Mexico. So I believe that that does exist. I believe Phil Schneider was given some information and inherited some information. I believe that, uh, Richard Souter has done some incredible research surrounding underground base technology and the possibilities that they could be made greater than one mile deep. And, uh, we already know through mining technology that, that, that is a standard in, in ability already. Um, but the real problem is how much can we prove? Uh, area 51 is an interesting place because obviously they're doing incredible testing of aviation technology there, uh, which Bob Lazar has investigated. And interestingly enough, uh, Phil Schneider, he published some videos with Ron Rummel before Ron Rummel passed of them. They had gone out to um, the Area 51 area and they had recorded video at night of UFOs buzzing around that that um, location in the sky. Uh, and in the first version of the documentary I published, which is very crude back, back in 2012. Um, you know, it shows that footage and shows them talking about their experience when they recorded that video, uh, at night over at the area 51. Um, yeah, at a location where they, they got a, a shot over area 51 video wise. And, uh, I think that, that base is proof enough, you know, the fact that you cannot go anywhere near it and that, uh, apparently Eisenhower had tried to invade it with our own army back in the 1950s when he was, uh, president because he didn't like the fact that he didn't have the security clearance to know about what was going on there. Um, underground bases, are definitely out there. They're being used for national security research and uh, technology probably that is being housed uh, away from public eye and, and ears. Um, and I think Phil Schneider was a brave man because he still spoke about this stuff when no one was really talking about it in a big way. Uh, and I think his death is highly suspect. I'm not quite sure who did it. Um, there's some allegations who may have done it. Uh, but it's really, it's really strange. Underground, the director's cut. How do we screen it, Darcy? Um, this is available on Amazon prime. Uh, it should be available on Google play, YouTube, red, a whole bunch of other streaming platforms, uh, any way that you like to consume your streaming and it's free uh, if you have a prime membership. So, uh, check it out, leave a comment, 
thanks for having me to talk about it. Oh, you're very welcome. I just wanted to touch very briefly as well on uh, your other film, Volcanic UFO Mysteries. Sure. And um, uh, it, it seems, well, I think the most recent one I saw was in December of 2020. There were some UFOs filmed over, I'm going to mispronounce it, but I, I think it's the Iztacoatl volcano uh, in, in Mexico. Yes, so Iztacoatl uh, shares the same sort of land area that Popo Capopetl sits on. Uh, and in this documentary, we actually cover many UFO sightings that have happened throughout modern history over Popo Capopetl. Um, and um, also as far out to Colima, which is another fiery active volcano um and um and and um is tacky so it's interesting that latin america harbors many very strange ufo events that have happened throughout history but they're very underrepresented to the united states uh you know and other western countries so I I find that it's uh, for me when I met with Jaime Mausan and I started researching all of this uh, information coming from his journalistic uh, history covering the UFO issues uh, and events that have been recorded in Mexico and other parts of Latin America. I found it super interesting and I wanted to put together some documentaries that shine some light on that, you know, so people see when people say, oh, I thought UFOs and aliens was only something that happened in the United States. It's like, no, there's a great history of sightings from around the world. Uh, and one of those places from around the world is, is Mexico and uh, other parts of Latin America. You know, Brazil has a very rich history of UFO events. But in this one, I focused on volcanoes for the fact that if you take a look at the UFOs that we saw in the To the Stars Academy release or the Pentagon's uh, videos, these are operating in a way that uh, those startled those pilots, right? That in a way that our technology can't yet. And when you look at these UFO videos, these are active volcanoes. They are erupting, and there is something slowly moving through the ash cloud or going into the crater as if it's landing. Um, and pictures that have been taken, too. Um, so if you watch the documentary, one of my favorite cases is the 1988 Colima fiery event. Um, the volcano was erupting pyroclastic flows and ash and massive amounts of, you know, magmic rock from the, the crater, uh, plumes of gas. And in a, during daylight, this news crew was being recorded by uh, a gentleman, Mr. Guzman, and um, him and many, many, many other people that live in the area as well as had come to see this eruption um, at Colima. Uh, they recorded this UFO 
just slowly moving through an ash cloud from one side of the crater to the other side of the volcano and then went off into the sky. And this is like cruising, you know? Well, we have no civilian aircraft. We have no commercial or military aircraft that could survive ash plumes like that going into the turbines and the, uh, the engines. Um, you know, you may recall that the Icelandic volcano erupted and grounded all flights in Europe for, uh, I think, a month sometime in the uh, early 2000s or mid, you know, uh, 2010 or something like that. I think I can't remember what year, but that's an example of, you know, commercial flights being grounded because we don't want a loss of life. If a, uh, chartered flight is, is going across this same, uh, flight path that the ash is going into the sky. And, these UFOs seem to be going flying into a place that we could not fathom going. So, so I what, found that to be interesting. For sure. So what what is the connection then between UFOs and volcanoes? Are, are these craters uh, somehow connected to underground bases? Yeah, um, Jaime Mausson does... He does theorize that. He does hypothesize that also maybe, for example, Popo Capo Petal, that, that uh, active volcano is right next to Puebla and many other little cities that are outside of Mexico City. And then the chamber for that volcano also extends quite near to underneath Mexico City itself. And if you think of Mexico City, the population is 30 million people. Puebla has a couple million people. You know, they, these are all heavily populated areas. And um, anytime there's been activity coming from the this volcano, seemingly there has also been UFO sightings. Jaime theorizes that uh, possibly the UFOs are dissipating the activity. Uh, possibly pulling energy away from them. And he said that uh, a university of Norway, I think it's Berg, Bergen University, they came down to study Popo Capopetal and they witnessed while they were studying it a UFO come while the volcano was active. And right around the time that they had that sighting, the energy levels, the electromagnetic uh, spectrum completely reduced after that UFO left and the uh, volcano remained stable then. It wasn't as active. So we include that in the documentary and just interesting things that have happened uh, around sightings of UFOs. They always seem to be around these volcano uh, ranges. And, you know, if you think about Dulce, New Mexico, that is a dormant volcano area. The, the mesos, uh, you know, used to be uh, lake beds, you know, ancient. But um, these are still land formations, risen land formations. And um, it's interesting that there's been many UFO sightings around dormant volcanoes, mountainous regions. You think of places like Mount Shasta 
um, and, uh, and, and Dulce, New Mexico, the, these are hotspots for UFO activity. You mentioned Iceland and, uh, the, um, the major eruption there in, I guess it was around April, 2010. And I was uh, watching some footage recently on Sky News in anticipation of this interview. Uh, and, and you can clearly see what looks to be a, a, a sort of a V-shaped UFO formation around that very volcano. Um, yep. I, mean, I mean, I don't know, people have tried to explain, oh, it could be a bird, but that's a, that's a very hot gas cloud. Um, um, so yeah, like nature doesn't usually form symmetry, you know, it doesn't really form, um, shapes. And, uh, when you see that V shape, if you see a, a triangular, uh, you know, three light, uh, UFO, that's usually some kind of vector shaped craft that we've seen throughout history. How do we see this film that was released, this was released in January, The Volcanic yes. UFO Mysteries. Yeah, so um, this was released earlier in the month and uh, it's available on Verizon Fios, Cox, uh, cable, on demand, in demand, a whole bunch of different uh, dish network, dish, yeah, dish network. So if you use cable and satellite, you can check it out through there. Uh, and then it's also on most of the streaming platforms. So, uh, Amazon prime, for example, YouTube, um, Google play to name a few. Darcy, always a pleasure. I look forward to speaking with you again on coast in February. Awesome. That sounds great. Thanks for having me again, Richard. And we'll chat again. Okay. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a moment to share a few words about an upcoming episode. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet.